Welcome to the show. I've got a great interview for you today. I actually did this interview a few months ago with James McGee from Ireland, who's one of the top sheepdog men in the world, and a wonderful discussion about mindset and training sheepdogs and all the things that go with becoming a top competitor and the setbacks that you face. And what's really interesting to keep in mind is when we did this interview, he was still running his young year old dog Becca in the nurseries and since then she's come on to such a degree that she made it into the double lift finals of the ISDS world trial which is an incredible feat for such a young dog so keep that in mind when he's talking about how young the dog is at the time of the interview and how a few short months later this dog just made incredible strides so much to do with the way he thinks about training so I know you're excited to hear what he has to say. Let's get started. Hey James, so how's your day today? Yeah, pretty good. We had a trial today uh, at the farm here, so it went quite well. The weather was nice. And we, had, we had a nice day. That was the, the last of our nursery heats today. Uh, we have our final next week, so we get on. Uh, Becca was first, and Moss, I think, was sixth or seventh, maybe, so we had a good day. Very good. So, uh, Becca's running well for you. She's just been an amazing little dog for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely so. Uh, she just seems to get it right most of the time. Uh, she's run in 10 nursery, 11 nursery trials now, and she's had 10 lessons, uh, two first. Five, five seconds and three thirds. So she's been quite uh, consistent and fairness. Oh, fantastic! So, um, you know, I was doing a bit of research before um, doing the call and uh, listening to a few of the other podcasts and things that you've been on. And I didn't realize um, I was there in 2011 when you won with Becca, and that was just amazing. But I didn't realize how young Silver was when Silver first came on the scene and was doing so well. Yeah, yeah, uh, we were we were very lucky also to to come across Silver. Uh, I think maybe ran him on the first trials at maybe a little over seven months or so. Uh, again in the nurseries and that, and he was kind of similar to what Becca is at the moment. Uh, just you know that. That type of dog that sheep can uh, feel comfortable around, and more often than not, he got it right rather than wrong. And just like when he had that bond with the sheep, generally kind of was able to put up a reasonably good uh, runs. So we were definitely lucky that he came along. Yeah, no doubt. So you really like training, um, obviously, the young dogs, but you also have a real way with young dogs where you can bring out the best of them. And I always am fascinated by this conversation because so many people are, you know, kind of against bringing young dogs on fast. And you obviously are able to do it and do it well. And what do you think is kind of the difference between those two philosophies? Uh, like... The big thing maybe that a lot of people don't do and that is, you know, like that each dog is unique, the same as each person is unique. Like we all have, or the majority of us have, you know, siblings, brothers and sisters, whatever, like, I mean, and 
almost the exact same upbringings, if you like, but there's very seldom that you get two family members that are the same, you know, that follow the same path in life, if you like, you know, or same, uh, you know, same attitudes, same personalities and stuff like that. So uh, you have to treat the dogs as being the same, like, you know, so what necessarily will work for one, you know, may not work for the next one. So you have to be very careful, kind of, and treat treat each one as an individual and, you know, kind of assess them and, you know, how much pressure, if you like, they can take and things like that. Just, you know, you, you've got to be careful with it and sensible. Uh, that's something probably that I, that I really enjoy doing is kind of training young dogs and running young dogs. I just, there's, uh, there's just a little bit of a buzz about it. You know, it's, it's maybe my, it's like a junkie, if you like getting their fix. I just that's my fix running young dogs. Like I just get a, a kick out of it. Now it's just uh, you know treating each one as being individual, like and you know applying the little bits of pressure and see if the dog can take it or not take it. You know, like I've often tried to train dogs quite young, you know, and I've had to say no, just I need to wait a while. They're not ready yet, if you know what I mean, but. I'm a great believer, and if you don't try, you don't get, you know, if you don't ask the question, you're definitely not going to get the answer. So what do you look for in the dogs when a lot of people say, well, the dog can't take that right now? Like specifically, what do you see them doing when you say, I got to back off this dog? Uh, Again, each one will kind of show maybe slightly different telltale signs, if you like, uh, you know, maybe some dogs will, will, you know, go away down in the gears, you know, get really slow and, you know, you can almost see the, the cogs turning on their head if you like, you know, oh, is this okay? Oh, shit, I don't want to do this. This is too much pressure, you know, that type of thing. So that's one thing. Another thing is maybe, you know, some dogs will start to get white. Uh, you know, they're just, you know, they're they're kind of blowing you off type of thing. Uh, you'll get some other dogs, maybe they'll start to, you know, like yawn, if you like, when you're working them, if you see them repeatedly opening their mouth and yawning on that, and maybe start, you know, nipping at the ground, at the grass, or maybe start eating some of the the sheep's feces and that type of thing, you know, it's kind of a a sign that they're just not comfortable. But generally, if you're working a dog, you know, and and the dog is kind of given almost its full focus to the sheep, you know, that it's, you know, concentrating on the sheep. You give it a, you know, a flank either way, you know, that it that it takes it relatively quickly and is not, you know, maybe going one way and then, oh, shit, I went the wrong way and goes the other way. You know, that's telltale signs that it's too much pressure for the dog and it's, it's overthinking the situation, if you like. Uh, to, to me, anyway, that, that's the things that I kind of watch out for, but... But again, everyone is different and will have slightly different, you know, telltale signs of that they're just not comfortable. What I find interesting with that is, you know, how one of the things I find people have trouble finding the balance with is one day they might be doing that and people back off, but then they back off too much. And, you know, then the next day, if you were to go out and maybe try that again, but maybe not quite as much, you'd be able to kind of push through that you know, little moment that they're having. And some people push too hard and then some people back off too far in the other direction and almost 
let the dog start dictating things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like probably the most important thing in training dogs is consistency. Like consistency is key. You know, and like should that be with an older dog or a young dog? It, it doesn't matter. You know, but you know, again, uh, I said there uh, that you know if you don't ask the question, you don't get the answer. Like when you're working with dogs and young dogs and that, you know, you'll only discover how much pressure you can apply by maybe applying a little bit too much. And if you see, you know, some of the things that I'm after describing on the dog, you know, that the little mannerisms, you know, that they're not comfortable, then, you know, turn your tone down ever so slightly from, you know, where it was too much for the dog and a little bit of praise. And try from there again, you know. So you have to really watch carefully your dog's body language whenever you are, kind of, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, chastising the dog or, you know, shout at it a little bit just to put that wee bit of pressure on. So if it's a little bit too much for the dog and you see the reaction, you know, that it's maybe getting a little bit wide or, you know, uh, it starts nipping at the grass or yawn and that type of thing. So tone it down a little bit, give a lot of praise again to the dog, encourage it to work quite a bit. And don't go up to that level of chastising again because you're going to create the same problem again. So find out what height, if you like, you need to set the bar at and, you know, try not to pass it again because you'll be up and down like a yo-yo, if you like, you know, and you won't succeed with it. What do you think about where you have novices with maybe not necessarily a strong dog? They're not able to communicate to them that, you know, they're kind of leading the show. Uh, In fact, when you and I worked together at one point, you said something to me that really stuck in my head. You said, you're not quite in her world, (laughs) which I thought was a good descriptor. That's kind of stuck in my head a little bit. So... Um, for the novices who are kind of struggling to maybe get the dog to mind them a little bit versus the handlers that are putting too much pressure on, what kind of advice would you give to the novice? Uh, some people don't like it, like it when, I, when I make this statement here, but I'm going to make it anyway because uh, I feel that it's very relevant. But, you know, I see dogs very much you know, uh, like children, if you like, you know, starting out and there has to be boundaries, you know, the same with children, you know, you will often go out places if you like for something to eat or, you know, and you'll see a child that's acting up and, you know, the the parent will be saying, you know, uh, no, you're not getting it, you're not getting it, you know, and after a little while when the child keeps nagging the parent for a quiet life, they give in and they give them whatever they required in the first place or were asking for the child. So, you know, in the child's mind at that stage, you know, if I keep nagging here, I'm going to get what I want. You know, all I have to do is keep nagging. The temper tantrum works, basically. Yeah. It's the same with the dogs. You know, if you say no to a dog today for doing something that, you know, displeases you or you're not happy with on training, well, that has to remain the same for every training session thereafter. You know, you can't go out today and be very regimental and say, you know, I'm going to make this dog do it 
right the way I want it done today. Uh, so it's the consistency that, you know, if you say no, well, you just have to keep at that dog or child, whichever the case may be, until they realize that no, that means no, uh, you know, and work from there. But that's kind of my belief on it, you know, but uh, very much the same as children, you know, the boundaries have to be set. So one of the and, things I think confuses people is when you're working livestock, especially for the newer person. Um, and, you know, people, there's this other debate about kind of the implicit obedience versus natural work, right? Well, we're going to let that go because they did this other thing well, or we're trying to get them to work naturally. And there's this kind of push and pull between these philosophies of letting them work naturally versus more implicit obedience. So sometimes people will say, tell the dog to lie down and the handler does and the dog doesn't actually lie down, but maybe it stops. And the trainer will say, that's good enough. Let it go. <laughs> What's your yeah. thoughts on that? Initially we're starting young dogs or, or starting to train a dog. Uh, yeah, that's okay. I see that as being fine. But as you progress in your training, you know, uh, it's one thing that I, that I can always say to people, maybe in clinics and stuff like that, you know, but is your dog doing what you asked it to do? You know, when you progress further in the training, and I'm talking about a dog that you're, you're maybe thinking, say, of running, in a, you know, a novice or a nursery trial, that, it, that it's at that level, if you like. So once you progress to that level, you know, that your dog knows its commands, lefts and rights, stop, uh, walk on, you know, that type of thing. Then uh, what you've asked your dog to do, you need to follow up and insist that the dog does what you've asked it to do. So again, it's that level of consistency that every time that you've asked the dog to do something, that you follow it up if it hasn't and make it do it. Because... Say, for instance, you, you know, you, you do it 10 times, if you like, and say seven times uh, you follow it up, but the three times you let it slide. So you're creating something in the dog's head where, you know, it's like, well, I don't really have to be that obedient here. You know, if, if he really wants me to do it, you know, he really get on my case. You know, and that's where your inconsistency comes in when you're trying to run the dog because, the dog's thinking, nah, it's okay today, I'll get away with it today, you know. So your dog is not thinking that it has to be, you know, perfect because you, you're, you've you taught it, if you like, that it can be inconsistent some of the times. So uh, I would be very, very regimental in, in that regard. Like, uh, I'm not necessarily that hard on the dogs. I, I can be hard with my tone, you know, uh, and the whistles and my voice and stuff like that. But like, I mean, I'm, I'm not physical as such with the dogs, you know, but you don't have to be. But they have to realize, you know, that if you if your tone goes up to a certain level that, you know, you mean business here and, you know, pay attention, be respectful. So I want to change gears for a sec and talk about the other end of the scale when you go to a big event. You've obviously done really well at lots of big events. You've like won nationals, you've won internationals, you've won worlds. Um, so when you're preparing for a big event and you're trying to go in and be, you know, be really prepared for that kind of event, what do you emphasize when you're trying to prepare for a big event? 
the, the one thing, you know, is you have to keep your feet on the ground, you know, and, and treat it as, you know, it, it's just another, you know, it's another run with the dog, if you like, it's another trial, regardless of, you know, whether it's, it's a Supreme or, you know, it's an open trial that you want to be successful on, you know, there was one Supreme, and I, I'm not sure if, I, if I've told anyone this on the podcast or that before, but there was one Supreme with Becca. It was it was one in uh, Northern Ireland. I'm not exactly sure of the year. It was in County Antrim, possibly 2009, but I stand to be corrected on the date. But anyway, it was an international in Antrim, and we qualified for the Supreme. and. We had the first outrun, first outrun left fetch done, second outrun left fetch done, and it was good. We went on the, the driveway, which was very good, and we got a good turn at the driveway gate, and we were going on the cross drive. And probably about maybe 30, 40 meters out from the cross drive gate, uh, in my head, I thought, you know, shit, this is going good here. I could possibly win this. And just probably about five seconds later, the sheep kind of got into a position where they stopped. I was a little bit offline. And just because my concentration had lapsed for that little bit of time, I asked Becca to... Normally when I would call her name, she would come very quickly with a sheep. Like if it's at home in a work situation, if I asked her to come, she would come. She would mean gripping them or whatever, you know, to move them. The sheep were in a position that they had stopped and they were almost kind of just out across from the gate, if you like. So they couldn't actually go through because they were on the panel, if that makes sense. Yep. So when she came forward, the sheep couldn't actually move. And I called her name and she done what I'd asked her to do. I asked her to come and she come in and she gripped and that was the end of the run. So it was a lesson to me to never, ever, ever in any trial, get ahead of yourself. So when I'm going to the post, the first thing I concentrate on is the outrun, then the lift, then the fetch, then the drive, one element at a time, and I do not get ahead of myself. So that's a bit of advice I would give people, you know, do not get ahead of yourself. Just concentrate on the job that you're trying to do on a particular task. That was a very harsh lesson to me. It was hard at the time. But, you know, thankfully, I learned from it. That's a real, um, I think, problem. I teach a lot of mental game myself. And um, I think that's a really common thing that people have is they they lose focus on the task at hand. Like yeah. they, they quit doing the best job of shepherding they can in that moment. And they start thinking about outcomes or, you know, if it's dog agility or whatever sport. And you just have that second where you, do, you know, and all of a sudden, everything comes apart. Well, that's exactly what happened to me. Like, you know, and that probably wasn't until six months later that I really analyzed what had happened, you know, and remembered the thought that came into my head. And, you know, it just dawned on me, you know, well, that's where you messed up. You know, you, you started to think ahead of yourself. You know, you got ahead of the game. You weren't concentrating on the element of work that you should have been concentrating on. Uh, and as I say, you know, that uh, most things in life, maybe I don't see them 
has been mistakes if you like if you can learn from it. So that definitely was a learning curve for me. It was a butter pull to swallow at the time, but uh, I look back on it now uh, has been a very good learning curve. Mm-hmm. So when you're preparing for those events, um, do you put any particular focus more on um, you know working your uh, turn back a bit more your international shed or is that just a normal part of your training where it's already kind of incorporated into the training that you do probably would do a little bit of everything you know uh and uh, not everything a lot if that makes sense you know but just try and keep it a little bit fresh in the dog's mind you know that each aspect you know uh, you know that we've done a little bit on it uh, and, and just keep it fresh in the dog's mind. But th- there's one thing that is extremely important for the bigger competitions, uh, probably. Uh, it's important for every day, but it's more so important for the bigger competitions. And that is that you and your dog are going to that event as a team and you haven't fallen out going to that event. You know, a lot of people... Uh, I've kind of spoken to over the years and you know the, the, they maybe get on the team for the international you know and I've, I've often heard people saying it and it, it kind of it amazes me to be honest but people will say oh, shit I hadn't trained you know a look back or that you know uh, I have to train the look back now like I mean in the space of two to three weeks type of thing generally you know and to me it doesn't it doesn't make sense like, say for instance now with Becca, uh, young Becca, she, she just turned a year there on the 1st of February. But our nursery final is next weekend now, which is the 18th of February. So from February until, you know, September, I'll be thinking about training the look back, if you like. You know, I'll not be doing a lot at it, but I'll be introducing it and doing a little bit and, you know, trying to keep it consistent. Uh, right the way through so you know we may not get on the team if you like we may not uh, be successful but if you're successful and you don't have your homework done to me that's kind of suicide if you like (laughs) you know successful so it's important that you have your homework done uh, and that your dog is happy that you haven't fallen out with your dog you know, mm-hmm. I would often say maybe on the Patreon channel and that, you know, like that a lot of the things maybe that you do with the dog and that is it's like having a toolbox, you know, like uh, say for a mechanic, you know, there'll be certain tools in that toolbox that maybe only is necessary once or twice in the year. But if you need that particular tool on a particular day, it's nice to be able to put your hand on it and use it. You know, so I see it the same with the dogs. And I try, if possible, to almost cover every eventuality that could possibly happen, you know, in a trialing situation or that. It doesn't always work, but that's kind of my mindset that, you know, to try and possibly cover everything that may happen. You know, it's interesting that you say that because um, I find mindset wise, there's a lot of people who can be quite good at open trials and um, but it's almost like they don't believe they'll make it through to the big day so that they don't work really hard on their, you know, turn back. And 
to your point, I mean, if it's a young dog and you're not expecting to do anything, that's one thing. But to your point, like some people have had a fair amount of success and then there's, they're still not ready for that big day, the final day, because they haven't done all the homework. They've just done enough to be able to do, you know, be successful at that first level. They're not thinking bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of your uh, training program, um, obviously it's going really well and it's very popular and you're traveling a lot now again as well. And you've come over to North America now a number of times over the years. What do you see as the biggest difference between North American sheepdogging, if you will, and your sheepdogging in terms of the way people go about it, the way we think about it, our livestock, any just sort of observations that you have? Uh, one of the things that maybe makes it a little bit more difficult, I think, maybe in America, that is we're lucky here, or I'm lucky, you know, a lot of us are, are farmers, if you like, and we have large groups of sheep or, or, you know, fairly large groups of sheep. And it's quite easy, you know, if we make a little bit of an effort, you know, to, to change out different sheep or, or to change to different fields for training and stuff like that. That's one thing that I, that I think is, you know, um, you know, like, uh, say hobby handlers, if you like, you know, and, and I don't mean hobby handler in a disrespectful term, but as people that are not farmers, but are very successful maybe in sheepdog trialing, but they just don't have the access to, you know, the numbers of stock and, you know, maybe the different fields and stuff like that. So I think that's definitely one of the, the big challenges, if you like. And, Probably uh, a challenge that goes hand in hand with that one, with the numbers of sheep in that. Uh, I think because the sheep probably get dogged so much over there, a lot of the smaller flocks, you know, I think it's a real challenge to try and shed the sheep over there. You know, it's all the same being to parts of Europe on that, like, where the sheep are handled a lot more, you know, they're maybe housed a lot in the winter time and stuff like that. They, they seem to get petted a little bit more, if you like, you know, they're more used to humans and that. And, you know, they come, once you go onto the field, if you like, and you send the dog in the outrun, more often than not, the sheep will run to the handler for refuge, if you like, you know, and they'll stick around you. So, uh, um. There's some times that I'm kind of in awe, to be honest, of some of the handlers at how they can shed the sheep, you know, and how they have taught their dog to come in with such force, you know, uh, and speed in that on the sheds. Uh, it's something I would like to incorporate maybe sometimes into my own shedding and that. But I see that as, as being a big challenge, you know, uh, shedding the sheep that are, are so dog broke. What about the argument, sometimes people say, um, and I'm just throwing this out there, that they feel your dogs are a little bit light because that they don't have to sometimes muscle these heavy sheep or even cattle and can't do the, the farm work, so to speak. I think, to be honest, that there are some dogs that, you know, the sheep are a lot lighter and they don't need to be kind of un- you know, what you're describing on the heavy end of it, if you like the sheep move freely in that. For me personally, uh, I have a good trial dog. I first have to have a good work dog, you know, and if the dog is not able to do the work, you know, like work, 
200 euros worth of lambs, you know, pass them on the road and put them under the pens and put them up the race and stuff like that. Well, to me, I'm not going to keep it for trialing because it's not, you know, it, it doesn't fit onto my regime, if you like. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it's like having, you know, the tool in the toolbox. If they're not able to do that job, I'm thinking, you know, there's a possibility someday here that we may need that tool and we don't have it. So I'm going to try and avoid being caught out, if you like, in that scenario. Right. Some dogs, yes, are, are you know, the... And maybe, again, it's not fair to say that the dogs are lighter. It's maybe more fair to say that the dogs have never had to be in a position or been put in a position where they've had to, you know, get stuck in to, to move those sheep. So a, a lot of it, you know, with younger dogs and that, and even an older dog, you know, if it hasn't been taught, you know, if, if it's always been taught, if you like, to stay back and, you know, keep off the sheep and that, and then suddenly you're asked to come on, you know, and maybe give them a nap or whatever, you know, again, it's confusing to the dog. So unless they've been asked to do that uh, a few times, I think it's maybe a, it's not a fair criticism, if you like, just to assume that the dog is light, you know, if it, if it hasn't been asked to do it. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, say someone driving an automatic car all their life and suddenly you put them onto, you know, a, a stick shift, you just call it, or, you know, the gear levers and they have to change and that, you know, it's it's going to be a bit of grinding now and again to until they get the hang of it, you know, so right. it's maybe a lot about the same with the dogs. Yeah, definitely. So I've got an interesting question for you. What was your darkest moment in sheep dogging? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's been lots. Like we all have them. If we sheep dog, we have dark moments. But <laughs> uh, are your biggest disappointment? The biggest disappointment maybe would have been at a national where we where we put up quite a decent run but didn't make the team uh, it just you know it was kind of a blow if you like you know everyone or the majority of people were saying you know you had a good run there you know it could have went either way if you like and you know we're, we're trying quite a while now and I'm pretty honest I'll hold my hands up and say that I've made a mess of it or whatever you know but you know yourself when maybe you're deserving of something and not deserving of it. And sometimes it, uh, it is kind of disappointing when things like that happen, but that, that's trialing and it's, that's the way it be. How did you handle that? Like, how did you come back from that? What did you sort of tell yourself to turn that around? Uh, you, you just got to, you know, pick yourself up. It's like as opposed to what they say, like riding a horse or that if you fall off, you have to get up again, you know, get back on. And as opposed to the mindset that I try and go trialing with now is, you know, that I, I will aim to leave absolutely no room, if you like, you know, for error, you know, where the uh, points can be deducted. Now, you know, you're always going to lose points or almost always. But, if you have the mindset, you know, that you're going to try and leave it as difficult as possible to take points off, but generally works reasonably good. Cool. Like, 
everything in life, you know, a positive attitude is is a big thing, you know, and like there are lots of days maybe we can be negative or whatever, but you know, if, if you don't believe in yourself or believe in your dog, you know, you're you're maybe creating a problem for yourself. Do you find that people um, sometimes do that? They look at their dog and a lot of people trying to buy success nowadays and the dog's not good enough and they're not trying to work with the dog that's in front of them. They're wishing for something else all the time. And so that makes them not be able to do a good job training the dog that's in front of them. Yeah, that's possibly right. Like I've had the comments said to me uh, over the years, yeah, there's there's one that kind of sticks out in my mind. I'll not name the individual, but he kind of made the comment that you know uh, I was at the top of the tree, if you like, when I won the world trial. But now uh, Beck is gone, and I'm finished. I'm a has been, you know. And comments like that to me are just like throwing the pepper on the fire. You know, it, it just makes it explode. Uh, it just drives me to try and be more successful, you know. But as I say, I get a real buzz out of running young dogs and, you know, searching for that, you know, dog that maybe could be the one, if you like, that uh, we're all looking for. And just nice, you know, to take a young dog uh, and, you know, become successful relatively quickly with it. Uh, it it's just, there's a nice feeling with it. You know, and it's not a big-headed feeling or nothing like that, but rewarding, I suppose, maybe is the way you would describe it. You know, there, for me, there's a, there's a real reward. And, you know, taking that young dog that has, you know, very limited experience, uh, it's very young. People often say you can't put an old dog's head on a young dog's shoulders, and, and that is quite often true. But you can definitely, you know, make a, a good stab at it if you like if you have the right people and you kind of try and go about it the right way you know like uh, I'm a firm believer and kind of showing dogs if you like what to do rather than kind of bullying them and to train them you know so some of the, the the older handlers are that you know and again I'm not being disrespectful when I say this but you know the the thinking was that, you know, you had to be hard, you had to be really tough on a dog, you know. People would tell you, oh, you don't pet the dog, you know, or you, you'll destroy it, you know, things like that there. But uh, to me, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, again, I'll, I'll equate it back to the same as children or that, or, or the same as ourselves. You know, supposing we went to work together and, you know, say I was your boss, if you like, and, you know, gave you a, a number of jobs to do in the day. And I came back maybe after an hour and start giving out, you know, what's keeping you? Why have you not got that done yet? You know, hurry up, look at the shape of that type of thing. You know, most of us, if we have any self-worth or self-esteem at all, you know, you're going to tell the person to go and take a run and jump to themselves. You know, and I see it has been the same with the dogs. Like, I mean, if, if you're bullying them all the time and, you know, don't reward them with the kinder tones and stuff like that when they do a good job and praise them, you know, you're not going to get the best out of them. You know, it, it's a partnership and 
if you're not a fair partner, like, I mean, well, no, they're, they're not going to live up to their end of the bargain, if you like to. Mm-hmm. So you often um, mentioned that your your breed now, your line um, is a very intelligent line and you really love working with that intelligence. That's probably something a lot of people might equate with obedience, but that's not, I don't think, only what you mean. It's not just they're obedient, but they really think about the jobs that you're trying to teach them and that allows you to be able to work with them together in a partnership. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, uh, the line, like, I mean, and it's maybe hard to explain. Uh, and people will say, you know, oh, he's talking crap. He's promoting his own line. You know, he's trying to sell dogs. And, you know, uh, what is it? This, you know, the proof of the pudding is on the eating, if you like, you know, and like the proof of the pudding for me is, um, you know, repeatedly, if you like, doing it, what the line that we have and being successful, you know, like that, that's not, it's not a fluke, if you like, it's a recipe that works. And uh, the, the young dogs, like they're, as I say, you, you don't actually, you know, bully them, if you like, for training. Uh, you kind of show them what to do and encourage them what to do. And, and they seem to pack it up from that. Uh, and that's probably why, you know, that I can take out the young dogs or, or some young dogs so young because they just have that natural talent and ability. And they don't do anything or they do little wrong, not that they don't do anything wrong, but they do little wrong. So, you know, you're able to move forward a lot of the time rather than kind of stay still or be static. like. Yeah, they get the lesson. It's not like you're on lesson one over and over and over and over. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Like, I mean, uh, it's, it's intelligence, you know, and again, it's probably the same with people. Like, you know, it's either there or it's not there. So when you're working with the youngsters, is there something that you see in a youngster that you go, and I remember you saying this way early on with Becca that you go, I think I've got a good one here. And it must have been that that you saw in her. I, I am probably looking back now. I am probably very lucky in the fact that I, that I do seem to be able to see things in dogs that other people can't see. Uh, you know, I can look at a dog, probably take a dog out maybe three or four times and I'll probably have my mind made up, you know, if it's one to keep or if it's one to move on, you know, if it's one that's good enough for what I'm looking for, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, I can do that, uh, say, maybe after three or four sessions with a dog. So I, I can't actually explain it. I, I can't explain what I see, you know. Uh, it's just something the mannerisms in the dog and the way it works and you know maybe it's me thinking you know that that the things that I see I like you know I say I'm thinking to myself you know yeah well I can work with us and I can do this with that and you know I'll be able to you know tap on there and stuff like that but I, I can't actually put it in words as to what I'm looking at if that makes sense Yeah, no, for sure. And I think we all probably have um, what I kind of call our deal breakers. Like there's some types of things like in a dog that 
you know, you just can't live with, or you're not good at training. So you don't want to like maybe deal with that element of it. Or, you know, like some people like to bring dogs on and encourage them. Some people don't want to have to encourage them. They want to be able to kind of get on with it. Some people are really good at training certain elements of work. So I suppose that can all influence things. But I mean, you're seeing it very early on, just sort of the mind, whether you like the mind and maybe the relationship that that dog has with the sheep even. Yeah, yeah. I like that the dog has to have a willingness to, you know, to work with you. It has to, you know, it has to want to be there with you. You know, it, it can't be half-hearted in its approach to work and stuff like that. And probably attitude is a big thing that, you know, I see in the young dogs and that, you know, uh, natural ability and talent, definitely. But it doesn't matter how much natural ability and talent they have. If they're not willing to work with you, you know, you, you can't you can't make a job of it, you know. So, like, uh, it's probably a combination of all those things put together that kind of, you know, make uh, the good dog, if you like, that that it that it works that you can maybe be successful with it. So, how do you simplify things for somebody, or even for a dog that maybe you're working with but isn't kind of um, maybe just is stuck at something? How do you simplify or set up the situation to kind of make it easier for the dog to learn? Or maybe it's a separate question, make it easier for the person to learn? Because, you know, in herding, there's so many variables, there's so many moving parts. Um, Sometimes you have to simplify it down so it's really easy for the dog to be right or wrong and make it really clear to them. What are ways that you think of to try and help make things really simple for a dog or for a person, if that's easier to explain, to make it real black and white for them what right and wrong is? Uh, like the first thing, if you like, was starting out with young dogs and that, you know, as the, the environment, if you like, that you train on, you know, so don't go into too big of an area starting off, you know, with a young dog or that because you're more often than not looking for a recipe for disaster. You know, if it's too big of an area and say the dog gets one or two bad experiences, well, bad experiences from the handler's point of view as to where, you know, maybe it takes off after the sheep and singles one or two out and runs a hundred meters with them and holds them on the ditch and maybe grips and, you know, by the time you get that 100 metres, they're gone to the next 100 metres or 200, you know. And it's just that, that uh, you know, it, it could be two or three minutes, which is very little in time frame. But that two or three minutes and a young dog's brain could be setting something up that it could take you possibly six months or a year to try and correct again. So the big thing, the environment you train on, that you try and avoid circumstances like that happening. Uh, the next thing you need is good dog broke sheep for, you know, with a young dog starting out. Uh, so like, I mean, maybe with an older dog or that, uh, generally we will maybe keep some of the the smallest lambs left over, if you like, you know, we'll dog them a little with an older dog, maybe spend 10 or 15 minutes putting the dog round and round and just making them dog broke that that, that they'll stay kind of relatively close to you. Now, when so you say dog sheep, broke, though, sorry to interrupt, you don't mean knee knockers, though. You mean just sheep that'll move readily no, for dogs. Not knee knockers, no. We, yeah. well, I, I thankfully I don't 
kind of get them broke to that extent you know, that they are knee knockers that they'll, they'll run to you. And the idea for the smaller sheep as well is, you know, if they did happen to come running at you, they're less likely to do much damage. And also with the dogs, you know, a young dog or that, you know, that they don't kind of trample or, you know, like as you've seen maybe some of the videos, I start some of the pups quite young or that, you know, and if one of those smaller lambs, you know, maybe tramped on the dog or that run over the top of it, it's not going to do it any harm. So that's one of the advantages I like on the kind of using the smaller lambs and that for just kind of starting the sheep or sorry, starting the dogs, pups and that. Right. Oh, that's fabulous. So, um, one of the things uh, when I was getting ready for this, I was listening uh, to the Church Month podcast that you did, I believe it was. And um, you commented that you're very determined. <laughs> when you start something, you're going to like make it happen. Obviously, it's played a lot into your success. But what I find is there's a real recipe for success. I find most people that are successful at something, there's a similar pathway that they take. And one of those things is determination. So when you got started in this, did you right from the beginning go, I want to go to the top? Uh, I probably did, to be honest. Uh, when I, uh, I'll go back a wee, but when I was about 15 or 16, uh, I went to two, two local trials here and I ran a dog and it, not very successfully, but ran it on it and I kind of went away from, from dog trial and then, you know, that, that was my kind of, that was my first introduction to, to run on it, you know, uh, trials. Uh, I ran on two trials, not very successful. And if I'm honest, probably was of the mindset that, you know, uh, a trial dog is not necessarily a good farm dog. Uh, if we fast forward then about maybe 13 or 14 years uh, I was in my late 20s but the international which was in Seaford in County Down Northern Ireland uh, was advertised in the local livestock market where I used to work and I seen the advertisement up and I thought might go and take a look at that you know I hadn't been you know I always had a reasonably good farm dog you know for work and that but never had a dog for a trial and all that. But I decided to, to go and have a look at the international. Uh, I rang one or two people that I knew was involved in sheepdogs uh, locally, and uh, they were already at the trial, if you like, or, or had other arrangements made. So I ended up driving up myself, which for you guys is like going to the shop for milk maybe, but it was a little over two years drive here, which uh, we, we consider quite a bit. <laughs> but anyway, I went to the International and it was the final day, the Supreme, and I was just totally flabbergasted by what, you know, the dogs could do. I, I never envisaged the sheepdog trialing, the, the Supreme, the double gather. That, uh, I'd never seen that before. You know, I used to watch one man and his dog as a youngster and I was totally kind of hooked on it uh, every Sunday evening I used to come on and watch it and I probably would have went out and tried and replicate some of it again with the dogs, not very successfully but uh, I always had an interest in it but I was just 
totally and utterly blown away uh, with what could be done, you know, the turnbacks and the international shade and stuff like that. And I just said to myself that day, I want to try this. And I actually bought a whistle at the trial and on my way home, I made up a set of whistles. Uh, quite simple, but I made them up. And the very next day, uh, I had quite a useful young bitch at the time. And I went trial, or sorry, not trialing. I went training uh, with the mindset that I was going trialing. Now, that young bitch that I had was was a decent one. And I had another young dog at the time, which was a scrimminger band son. Uh, he was quite strong at the time. But the bitch probably was the more trialy of the two, but I made a mistake one day and that I came in for for lunch and I left the two dogs running around the yard. I was only in maybe half an hour thereabouts, but when I went back outside again, both dogs were gone. Again, it's like most lessons, I feel like we learn in life, the one you learn the hard way tends to be the one that sticks in your mind the most. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just had to be careful from there on in, if you like, with the dogs and that. And I would be quite careful now that, you know, not to let more than one young dog out at a time because, you know, it's like teenagers, that type of thing. Like, I mean, as individuals or two together, they're not too bad. But once you add more to the mix, it kind of can go out of control. Mm-hmm. But both the point I'm trying to make, you know, I was determined to try and be successful early on, and that was a big spanner and and my works, if you like, as as the plan that again I had laid out because I had kind of quite high hopes for that particular young bitch. But like every setback, if you like in life, you know, you can't you can't let it get you down. You know, you you have to just try and rise above it and take it on the chin, so to speak, and, you know, try and move on, uh, try and get something else again. So, mm-hmm. But that, that's kind of where, you know, my determination, if you like, would I would be kind of tunnel vision of, you know, if I put it in my head that I want to do something or, you know, whatever it may be, I'll always, well, maybe not always, but maybe 98% of the time, I'll try and find a way of making it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sheep talking, I think, is particularly can be hard on one's ego. <laughs> I remember yeah. we were in um, trialing in uh, the north of England, I think. And I forget the trial we were at, but um, one of the fellows who was trialing was, you know, one of the top guys. He'd been winning all sort of the local trials in the area. And we drove up and we were pretty new. We'd been there for a week or two. And we pulled up and they were pulling his sheep out of the river. <laughs> <laughs> there was a river that ran alongside the trial field. And so we were looking, the friends I was traveling with, were looking at each other thinking, maybe we should go to another trial <laughs> because I'm not sure I want to run this one. Um, we did run it and it was fine and our sheep didn't go in. But to the point, it happens to everybody. Stuff happens and you have to bounce back from it. For sure, for sure. Like, I mean, it's how you deal with things in life, you know, like people... People will often, you know, look at other people, you know, with maybe rose-tinted glasses, you know, because they're successful or whatever. You think, oh, mm-hmm. it's easy for them. 
they, they haven't had the problems that I've had. You know, they haven't had the setbacks that I've had. But as, as the old saying, you know, uh, if you walk a day in someone else's shoes, you, you might discover maybe they're not that comfortable altogether. You know, they, they don't fit that good. But like that's probably human nature where people just, you know, have that thing, you know, that, oh, they got it easier than me, you know, that type of thing. But they're they're not seeing the the obstacles that you know people have had to overcome to to be successful you know and success is not something that you're you know is it's not a given right if you like you know it, it's something you have to earn it's something you have to work for mm-hmm. no for sure well that's a fabulous note to end on I just can't thank you so much for you know giving your time and also for the program that you put out to help so many people with uh, their sheep dog work I think it's just wonderful stuff so thank you for doing all that work for everybody and helping make the sheep dog world better well, thank you very much and uh, a special thank you to yourself for uh, giving us the opportunity to do this and also for being uh, a participant on our patron page and that like you know without yourself and all the other patrons like i mean there would be no point in us doing videos and that and to be honest as opposed the patron page has kind of taught me a lot over the last number of months but it has actually helped my training i think quite a bit to be honest because before I would have been, you know, I would have been assessing the dog while I'd have been working it, you know, and things like that. But now I've kind of discovered, you know, that I'm, that I'm trying to explain all the things that I'm seeing. I'm probably seeing more things than I ever seen before, if that makes sense. Just because I'm maybe looking so hard at it now to, to try and explain it to the viewers and that, you know, of, of the body language and explaining that you know wh- where to to watch out for things and stuff like that. So it definitely has helped me and my training uh, as well as as maybe helping other people. So definitely grateful for it in that regard. Oh, for sure, definitely. When you have to teach and explain something, it makes you better at what you do, just all around, because you just are more conscious about the decisions you're making and why you're making them. No, no, definitely would agree with that. Now. Probably if you'd asked me that question when I started or first, I would have said, no, you know, that that wouldn't make any difference. But uh, I would have been wrong in that assumption because it definitely has made a difference. You know, uh, definitely looking at it slightly different now and in a better way, to be honest. Well, thanks again, James, so much for sharing your wisdom. If you want to find James, I'll put the link in the show notes. You can get to his Patreon page and check out his fantastic learning community and also if you want to support my podcast you can go to kathykeats.com forward slash support the show and you can buy me a coffee and sign up to find out when the next podcasts are coming out and also give me some feedback as who you'd like me to interview thanks very much for joining me and i will see you in the next episode